Again, we open back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it'll be verses 14 to 16 this morning. In the bulletin, as I mentioned earlier, I had it as 14 and 15. Uh, that was a little bit of a mistake on my part. I've corrected, so it's going to be verse through verse 16, verses 14 to 16, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Have in mind a lot of what we just sang in our psalm. And I read for you now the word of God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is jealous, a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. May the Lord bless the preaching, the reading, the hearing, the believing, and the obeying of his holy word. And beloved, we will be doing a little bit of extra turning to different parts of the scriptures. We're going to turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 4, the gospel of Mark chapter 8. We're going to be going to Exodus 17 uh, and back and forth to this chapter. So please keep it marked. And just a heads up, I, I want to look at these things together with you uh, to help us see and remember these connections. Most importantly, Exodus 17 is being referred to today in our text. And Matthew 4 is specifically applied by Christ uh, uh, of this text. So we'll look at those particularly. But we think about verse 13 that came just before our text we looked at last week. Last week we saw that we are to fear God, we are to serve him, and particularly we are to swear by his name. And we learned that that is basically renewing our covenant vows to love God alone. And we see that all through the scriptures, especially such as in Psalm 116, we sing part of regularly as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. We are not tempted, is the idea, that we would not be tempted to test him and tempt ourselves into complaining and seeking someone else to love or serve, in particular other gods. God's people who are called to be a loyal wife must not distrust and test God's faithfulness to them, for he is a jealous husband who expects trusting fidelity in return and threatens severity for desiring others. I give you that as the main idea of our text. God's people who are called to be a loyal wife must not distrust and test God's faithfulness to them, for he is a jealous husband who expects trusting fidelity in return and threatens severity for desiring others. Remember again, we are in the explanation and application of the first commandment. We're in that part of Deuteronomy now where the stipulations of God's covenant people are expounded and apply to much of what life will need to be looking like as they are about to go into the promised land. And we're in the explaining and applying of the first commandment. Thou shall have no other gods before me. That is, in my presence, before my face. As we've seen, God expects exhaustive and exclusive loyalty. To love him with everything in us and to love no other 
as our God. And we've been seeing a lot of things he said after the great Shema related to that. And that's what we're still expounding, the first commandment here. Know their gods before him. That's spoken of more specifically in the text related to idols. But in particular, the danger of what will lead to that. What will lead to idolatry? The lack of trust as seen by testing the Savior. That's not enough for me, God. That's not good enough. I don't believe you anymore here. you got to show me something else. That's the thing God is warning against. Don't you test me. I test you. And when you do that, you're provoking my jealousy. Because as we'll see in the connection of the text, you start to go to other gods. You start to look to others to do for you what only God can and has and ever will do. Don't you dare do that by distrust and testing him. Don't tempt Jesus to jealousy. That's the message for you this morning. Don't tempt Jesus to jealousy. Now, many might argue, oh, well, this is Old Testament. Why are you applying that to Jesus? Because the New Testament does. And we'll see how this applies very much so. Don't tempt Jesus to jealousy. Trust God and be faithful to him. That's the first main thing to consider. Just trust God and be faithful to him. Like Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, where he applies our text today. Now I want to ask you to keep Deuteronomy marked, but turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. You see a similar parallel in Luke chapter 4, the wilderness uh, uh, account of Jesus. And we know that uh, we saw last week he quoted our last verse, also in this place. We'll see next week he'll quote the next verses, although it comes before here in Matthew 4. He just keeps quoting Deuteronomy, especially chapter 6. We need to recognize that. But let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. He is brought into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by the Spirit because he needs to pass the test for us. He's not being tested as God. He's being tested as fully man who is going to represent us and has to pass the test with perfect obedience to be the perfect lamb without blemish to be slain for our sins for tempting God. Matthew chapter 4 verses 5 to 7. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... And he quotes Psalm 91 verse 1 here, but he misapplies it. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Well, while these things are true, we're not to test God. We're not to see, let's see if he actually does this. And Jesus says that, quoting our verse. Jesus said unto him, It is written, quoting verse 16 of Deuteronomy 6 in our text today. He quotes our verse today. It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That is, thou shalt not test. If Jesus were to throw himself down and see if the angels pick him up, he's playing games. He's messing around, testing God like he's a toy rather than the Lord. We trust God's promises, but we don't test him. There is that one place related to tithing where the Lord makes that exception, but we don't do anything. We don't test him where he doesn't tell us to. 
So we turn back to Deuteronomy, but recognize verse 7 is being quoted, is quoting verse 16 today. Satan says to you, test God. Yeah, he promises to give you blessings, so go out and get it any way you need to. See that God's going to bless you no matter what. Don't wait on him. Test him. Force his hand. Make it happen. Jesus says, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Quoting verse 16 of our text today. He is our example to follow, beloved. This shows Jesus' faithfulness and loyalty that Israel should have shown as God's beloved firstborn. Collective singular, spoken in the scriptures. Jesus is the true beloved firstborn. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Hebrews 11.1 1, applied to Christ in Matthew chapter 2. He does this perfectly. He passes the test where Israel failed. He shows us the way to follow, trusting God to provide for him in the wilderness. This is the opposite of testing him, like Israel did. He doesn't test God in the wilderness. He lets God test him, and he waits upon God in trust and faith. He didn't force God's hand. He didn't let the devil force him to force God's hand. Unlike Israel, as in the collective singular God's son, they, they do. They did. God's warning them, and he's warning them, don't do it again. John D. Currid says this word test is a verb in the Old Testament, and it's usually about what God does to his people, and it's not ever to be the other way around. Jesus passed God's test by not testing God in the wilderness testing. And God points out today, as we'll see, They didn't pass the test already in the wilderness testing. That's why the generation died out almost entirely over 40 years. And now they're just back with the second generation. Because before they even get to the promised land, they're already testing God along the way. And God's warning them about that. And we're being told to be like Jesus' son. J.G. McConville says... Testing involves a question about the capacity of the person tested. We are not to question God's infinite capacity and perfect reliability. Jesus is tested for us, but passing the test involves him knowing not to distrust, and therefore not to test God the Father in the wilderness as Satan tested and tempted him to do so. J.G. McConville also says the central point of this paragraph, therefore, in Deuteronomy, our text today, the central point of Deuteronomy 6, 14 to 16, therefore, is, as he says, that Yahweh is capable of keeping his promise that Israel will enter the land. They doubted him and tested him, and that's why for 40 years they didn't go in. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. Beloved, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And be thankful that Jesus passed the test so that you get to enter the promised land, and you get to stay in the eternal promised land through him and his perfect, righteous, active obedience, 
which Israel as a type failed to do. So there was a delay of entry, and then once there, they're often kicked out. Christ does for us what Israel couldn't. Trust in him at all times, you people. Follow Christ's good example and be warned by Israel's bad example. Don't test God's faithfulness to you. Trust God and be faithful to him. Don't test God's faithfulness to you. And this is the main thing we see we're being warned about in the text. Like the first generation, don't test God's capability and faithfulness to you. Along the pilgrimage to the promised land. There are going to be times where you get thirsty, hungry. There's going to be times where you wonder where it's going to come from. Don't test God as if he's not going to take care of you and as if he's not going to provide. Don't question him. That's what we're being warned about today. God specifically in verse 16. Go back to Deuteronomy for a moment. Deuteronomy 6. 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Now, Jesus quotes the first part in Matthew 4, but this last part of the verse is referring to Exodus 17. So God is reminding them about what they did before and the severe consequences. Notice he warns about severe consequences in the earlier verses. And he's warning them, don't do what you did to me before. Don't act like your unfaithful parents. Don't tempt me like your parents did, because they're not with you going into the promised land, are they? He's warning. He's warning you covenant children. Don't follow whatever are your parents' bad examples of faith. You trust God and don't question him and don't test him and don't tempt him. Now let's go back. Verse 16 is referring to Exodus 17. Turn with me to Exodus 17 to see what God is reminding them of. Now remember in the historic uh, prologue of Deuteronomy goes on and on for several chapters through chapter 4 to remind them all of these kinds of things. Don't make the same mistakes, but also remember to trust in my ability and mercy. Exodus 17 verses 1 to 7 is what God is warning them today when he says, don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't test me like you did in Massa. Exodus 17, 1-7. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? He's complaining about what you don't have at the moment and complaining about your leaders, who are usually the ones providing it for you, is to chide and tempt the Lord. Verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Now wait a minute. They were killing their babies in Egypt. They were crying out in back-breaking slavery under Pharaoh, who thought he was a god, and the false idols there. 
But all of a sudden, they want to go back. And apparently, they don't remember God brought them through the Red Sea, saved them out of the slavery with the ten plagues. Uh, All of a sudden, let's go back to Egypt. And we'll remember from other scriptures, they almost ended up Egyptians. They almost turned completely to false gods and idolatry. God saved them from that. They want to go back to that now. So they're questioning and tempting God. Can you imagine? God's there in their midst. Isn't that something? Just as he says in our text today, and yet in his, their midst, they're saying, ah, what have you done for me lately? Verse 4, And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. I want to remind you, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New Testament says, this rock was Christ, and the water given to them was Christ, from Christ. Verse 7, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Wow. My needs are not being met. I'm suffering. God isn't real. He must not be with us. Is he with us or not? Talk about testing God. Here in the wilderness, they fail the test. Jesus, our example, passes the test. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. God says in our verse today in Deuteronomy, don't tempt the Lord thy God like your fathers did at Massa. Don't tempt Jesus, the rock that gave you the water. Learn to wait on the Lord. Learn not to complain against the Lord and his leaders in family, church, and state. Learn to be patient. Learn to trust God's word is enough. As Deuteronomy says in Christ, quoted also in in the temptation in Matthew 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh from the mouth of God. Learn not to demand more from God, but to trust all that God has given you to get you through those wilderness moments, to get you through the pilgrimage into the promised land. So you are in the promised land in the end. The danger here is distrusting God and putting him to the test for more miracles and to prove himself as truly the only God rather than waiting and remembering. I want you to turn with me now to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, please. And we will come back to Deuteronomy again. Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. Jesus warns against this as it happens to him. And we're told not to tempt Jesus to jealousy. We see the example of what he's saying, don't do. Matthew, or excuse me again, Mark chapter 8 verses 11 to 12. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given 
unto this generation. Verse 13, and he left them. See, Jesus says, don't tempt me by asking for some amazing sign. You don't need any more signs. You don't need any more revelations. You have the complete revelation of God, which ends in the book of Revelation saying, don't add to it and don't take away from it, or the curses of this book will be on you. Don't tempt God. Don't think he has to tell you exactly everything about your life. Don't think your life is what it's all about. The word of God is more than sufficient for you. Don't ask for signs of Jesus. Don't ask for miracles. He's already given you many, just as they had many. It was never enough because of unbelief. Don't ask Jesus to prove himself to you. He already did, especially in the resurrection. Don't try to prove the veracity of the resurrection. The scriptures say it is so, thus saith the Lord. Don't inadvertently allow the world to tempt the Lord through you and how you do apologetics. Jesus had done so many miracles, and yet they didn't believe, and they demanded more. And he said, therefore, you tempt me. And it is an evil generation. It is an evil people that wants lots of signs and miracles and all the things that he hasn't told us to worry about, because he's done. What more could be done? The rich man in hell says, please, Lord, send Lazarus to tip the water on my tongue. No, it can't be done. Well, at least please send Lazarus to go speak to my family still alive so they don't come here. And what does Jesus say? They have Moses and the prophets. If they won't believe them, if a man's raised from the dead, they won't believe. Don't test God. You don't do that with God. You don't do it with Jesus. Verse 16, again. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God as you did in Masa. Verse 16 of Deuteronomy 6 says that Masa means testing. The place name gets its name from the sin of what they did. They tested God. They tempted God. And P.C. Craig explains they behaved rebelliously against the Lord and Moses in a situation calling for their trust. I call upon the officers of the church particularly and the leaders of homes to be the example to our people of trust. And obedience, especially in situations that call for such. We don't wring our hands. We don't test the Lord and say, is he God or not? Is he with us or not? We quote the Bible that says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Psalm 124, if it wasn't for God, we'd be gone. But God is with us. And so here we are. He provided before. He'll do it again. John D. Curd explains, in Canaan, where they're about to go, the promised land, the Israelites are not to display such a lack of faith. Because that's what we're seeing here. This tempting is coming from a lack of faith. If they do, they will, and they do get asked to leave for a while until they can be content to be a faithful covenant people. He says, I'm in your midst. He was in their midst there. He says, I was in your midst. I'm in your midst. In our text, Don't be an unfaithful wife. 
Don't have other men in my bedroom, let alone my living room, let alone my kitchen. I'm here right in front of you. What are you doing? I'll take care of you. I've taken care of you. Don't start looking for someone else to take care of you. And if you do, I'll have to let you live outside for a while with the dog in the backyard until you get it. This lack of faith is seen by being full of complaining and showing the heart of an ungrateful wife who's quick to look to other men to please and provide for her. Or to go back to Egypt and their gods and their quote-unquote provision. As we see in Exodus 17, is God really among us? Is he really the God? This is the danger warned about in verse 14. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 14. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. The same concern for you and I today, beloved, to be in the world but not of it. Not turning to the same sources of peace. The same sources of provision. The Lord alone is our good shepherd who we can say, I shall not want. Not jumping off buildings for Satan to test God that he may show we're his. We don't have to prove God to people, we just proclaim the word. And we prove that God is real by our trust and obedience, especially when we have only a wilderness to show for it. And they'll see him with us. They doubted God could get them through the desert, and so they died there, ultimately. Not allowed to enter the promised land, as they longed to go back to slavery in Egypt. Not only did they not get back to Egypt, and not only did they get to the promised land, almost everybody died in the desert, buried in the sand. Some of them literally buried alive, if you'll recall. Thus, verse 15 of our text, For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. There's clearly a warning. If you provoke my jealousy and unfaithfulness, distrust and tempt me as if we do not have our covenant vows, at some point I'm going to have to let you suffer for it. And that's much of Israel's history. Provoking God to jealousy. He is jealous. That is, he desires exclusive loyalty and trust, which will guide us in our faithful living. Now, I want to remind you, there's a lot of scriptures that speak about God being jealous. This doesn't mean paranoid. This doesn't mean sinful. It means just like any good husband or wife expresses exclusivity in the marriage relationship and covenant vows. Exodus 20, verse 5 in the Ten Commandments, reflected in Deuteronomy 5, 9, and 10. For example, turn with me. In the Ten Commandments alone, God reminds us to be faithful, for he is jealous, and if we are not, his jealousy provoked will bring situation upon ourselves and our children. Deuteronomy 5, 9, and 10. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Those who are jealous for him and his honor, 
He's merciful to and blesses many generations as well. We've already seen that God is jealous in chapter 4, verse 24. And we go on to see it in chapter 11, 16 to 17, in the sense that if they don't remain faithful, he'll take away the rain. Now remember, as we've learned earlier, one of the commentators shares that the Canaan is completely dependent on rain. There's no sources like the Nile in Egypt. They'll be completely dependent on God's blessing of rain. And if they are not faithful, he'll allow them to experience thirst again if they want to complain as if he's not providing water for them. He's jealous. He expects our loyalty. God's name is jealous. Remember Exodus 34, verse 14. It says, God's name is jealous. One of his names is jealous. You can see a sermon on that name in the series on God's names. So I won't repeat it here, but let me let you know and remind you of other scriptures that speak about this. It comes up a lot. Numbers chapter 5, 14 and 30. 1 Kings 19, 10 and 14. Ezekiel 39, 25. Joel 2, 18. Zechariah 1, 14. 8, verse 2. Psalm 78, 58 that you sang today. Psalm 79, verse 5. And today's text becomes a major reference of the scriptures. You see it in chapter 9, 22 of Deuteronomy and chapter 33, 8 of Deuteronomy. Don't tempt the Lord thy God. As they did and suffered. Trust him. Don't test him. You might sum it up that way. Trust him, don't test him. And he will test your trust, if you will. But this idea especially comes up in Psalm 95, verses 8 through 11. Harden not your heart as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. That means provoking and tempting the Lord in the wilderness. As he's referring to, don't do it again, Exodus 17, as he's speaking to them in Deuteronomy 6. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest, and they didn't ever enter into Canaan. Now, this is something worth taking a note of if you take notes. Psalm 95, verse 8 and following is quoted in Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 15 in particular in terms of the application. Make sure that you don't harden your heart like they did in the day of provocation. That you do enter into God's eternal rest. Believing Him in trust not testing him in unbelief, always wanting more signs and wonders and never believing the wonderful gospel and completed word he's given you, never believing them and having even Jonah testing your faith to be in want and leave you wanting for more into eternal death. That's New Testament, folks, quoting Psalm 95, saying the same thing as our text today, pointing to Exodus 17. Don't be like them. And it keeps repeating it. 
don't be like them. Don't tempt God. Don't be in unbelief and therefore not follow him and therefore not be with him in the eternal promised land of rest. It all relates to whether or not you will believe God, whether or not you'll trust him, or whether you'll be testing him all the time, just like Satan would have you. And just like, sadly, too many in the first generation did, and thus died in the desert, and did not enter the promised land. And of course, there is much typology, prefiguration, applied here in Hebrews to us in Christ. But there's another place where this is applied very closely and deliberately in the New Testament, specifically directly of Christ, that we wouldn't tempt him to jealousy by testing him and expecting him to prove himself to us in silly little ways that we concoct in our own mind, rather than trust his word, trust in him and what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 8 to 11, and especially verse 9. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Thus, right before the discussion of the Lord's Supper, in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 10, it says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Instead, flee to the Lord's Supper this morning and be faithful with eyes and a heart only for Christ. No intent to also eat and drink at the tables of idols and devils also. Verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 10 to to cover your bases and hedge your bets. You take the Lord's Supper and you say, the Lord is Lord alone. The Lord is among us. God is Emmanuel. In Christ. The danger of testing is to be severely punished. Verse 15 again. And we've, we've seen that warning. There's a great danger of being punished. That needs to motivate us. We know that we don't earn salvation. We don't earn the promised land. We know that it's perfectly earned for us in Christ who didn't tempt God. Who paid the penalty for our tempting him. Being born tempters. Nonetheless, he does use means if we know that temporally he will allow us to suffer punishment and consequences, that's a good motivation to stay on the narrow way and obey him and trust him. He will allow things to set us back if we backslide. If we test him. If he's not enough for us at any moment. If his word is not enough for us, instead of turning to it in prayer, we turn to something else. Instead of turning to our worries and obsessing, we don't turn to him in prayer as the antidote. And therefore, we will not have the peace of God keeping our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus that passes all understanding. Let us not tempt the Lord our God and complain against him and test him as if he's untrustworthy. 
And beloved, be content with his means of grace. Don't demand special signs. Don't demand special revelations of him. Rather, submit to the ordained means of the ministry. Minding. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. There's a danger of testing to be severely punished again. Verse 15. Much of the Old Testament history is them being given over to other nations as they gave themselves over to the strange God to find out that they had it much better with the only true God alone. J.G. McConville also says this, It is idolatry above all that will draw down the wrath of Yahweh on his people. And so as a kind and merciful God, he's warning them and us to flee idolatry. Just as again is said to us in 1 Corinthians 10, before we take the Lord's Supper, not to stop along and worship in idol factories with demons along the way. Only Jesus. Only the kingdom of heaven. In this world, but not of it. Now, there's a reminder or I would remind you of the book of Revelation and how it begins, the seven letters to the churches of Asia. Jesus has a complaint against the church in Ephesus, the first church. Now, he commends them just as he does the others he's severe with. What's good, he commends, but he also speaks strongly in condemnation to what's wrong and needs to change seriously if they don't want to suffer the consequences. This is New Testament. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. He says to the church in Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. That he says, I used to be your only love, but now you're loving other gods. Now you're loving the world instead of only me and the kingdom. You've left your first love. I'm to be your only love, your only husband, church. Why are you blending all these ways of the world, seeking to fill the church with the ways of the world and calling it Christian? His warning to not keep tempting him and be tempted to give your love to other people and false gods? Revelation 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore... From whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And we know the candlesticks in the imagery there represents the church and his presence. Jesus is warning, if you don't revive your love for me exclusively in this church, I will close you down. I will turn off your lights. Because I'm the light of the world, and I only have you be the light of the world with me shining in you. It's a pretty significant warning. 
Or as he warns the church of the Laodiceans at the end of this, these letters, Revelation 3.16, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Don't doubt Jesus and test him to prove himself to you more than he already has. Don't be tempted to turn to other sources of strength and love. Beloved brethren, bride of Christ, say only in the spirit from your hearts continually, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Don't tempt Jesus to jealousy. And that is the message for you this morning. Don't tempt Jesus to jealousy. Have that in your hearts as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper. And let your hearts not be an idle factory. Let us pray. O Lord God, we do confess to you our sinfulness of distrust and unbelief. Help thou our unbelief and increase our faith. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us be renewed in our first love and let us not be lukewarm. Revive us, O Lord, again. Help us not to tempt you but to trust you in all things. And we pray in Jesus' name, and we pray as you taught us to say, Lord Jesus, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.